Welcome to the Give Yourself the Chat podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lewis, and this is the show dedicated to unlocking human potential and living a life of high performance. So hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Give Yourself the Chat. Um, I have a chap called Ryan Ramsey with me today. Um, who has a fascinating background. We'll go into that more in detail in a second. But uh, Ryan, hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. This is our second go, isn't it? Because (laughs) technology failed us last time. Um, We we record this on Zoom and then sort of lift the audio. And our our theory is that too many people are on the internet at once. So um, it's a Sunday morning and so far the connection is holding up really well. Ryan, you spent uh, 26 years in the Royal Navy. 24 of those years was in the submarine service and you, uh, I guess one of the highlights of that service was being captain of your own boat and then laterally going on to train uh, captains or would-be captains of submarines. And, but now you're, you're in corporate life, uh, you've had experience working with oil rigs, uh, head of construction for National Grid, you do consultancy work, you're also a published author. Gosh, you've, uh, you've managed to cram an awful lot in in that time, but we're in lockdown, it's pandemic still. So let's, let's start more sort of locally. How's things been during pandemic for you? So, so um, I, I think the f- first thing was uh, you could see it coming. So it was a bit about preparation. And for me, I just turned it into a uh, big submarine job um, <laughs> with the added bonus that I could go outside. So, <laughs> um, so I, I think we've, we've handled it well. There's been ups and downs, obviously. And, I, and yeah, this is unique, isn't it? So um, unique experience for everyone. It, it, it is, but I'm, I'm guessing not so much for you because you've just alluded to there. I, mean, I guess lockdown is is the lot of a submariner, is it not? I mean, there must be so many parallels with that that have helped you personally prepare. Um, I mean, just give us a highlight of of the comparison between you know being underwater for extended periods of time and and this pandemic. I'm sure there's parallels there somewhere. Yeah, there are. So, so, so the whole piece about um, you've only got, well, when we started out and you couldn't do anything and you had to stay in your house, uh, or wherever you were, um, it was exactly like uh, being in a submarine. Um, probably the added complication and opportunity was the fact that you had constant access to the internet and to, um, to the news, mainstream media and everything else. So uh, you, you don't get that when you're on a submarine. So, so you will leave and you might go off for a 90-day patrol, um, and basically you're reliant on somebody in the headquarters sending you one or two pages of news over a very low frequency broadcast uh, today. And um, you, you've got no contact with your family, obviously. Uh, you can't talk to them. They can send you a 60-word uh, message once a week, which is looked at by everybody before it gets to you. Wow. Um, so, and, and that's it. But actually, that isolation piece, as long as you get into a routine, um, you take breaks when you can. You make sure that you clean uh, the area that you're living in and keep it really clean. Um, you, you make sure that you exercise yourself mentally and physically. Um, as soon as you get into that cycle, um, that, that's, that's submarine life. And submariners are trained to do it. And actually, the general public aren't trained to do that. But most of them manage to do it, which is, which is all credit to them. Well, I, I don't know. I know when we, we tried first time around, you, you think actually that the leaders need a bit of a pat on the back, don't you, really, about how we've, we've adapted? Because as I say, Submariner gets trained, practiced, and you, you're all in it together, but you know that actually it, it could, it, it's going to come to an end. But this has been sort of almost like no end in sight. And, and I think your personal opinion is that actually leaders have done pretty well during this time. 
Yeah, but, uh, we've um, uh, we've helped a lot of um, leaders over through the through the pandemic, and I think at the very beginning of it, you could see um, lots of leaders struggling with uh, the challenges of leading disparate teams, um, actually achieving the tasks they need to achieve without having their teams close to them, as well as living with their families at the same time or living on their own at the same time. Um, all of those challenges compound uh, the leadership problem, and of course. Um, with no training, you, you've got to you've got to turn around and, and get on with it and um, and ask for advice when you can. But so I, I say all credit to to anybody who's led uh, through this period. It's it's been unique. Um, it's been difficult for many, um, and yeah, they've done they've done well to get this far. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I, I know at the start, perhaps people you know would have threw their hands up and said, well, you know, I don't know the answer to this because we've never faced this before. But I think those leaders that have made the most of it realize that nobody's faced this before. And therefore, I guess it's the questions we should ask ourselves. So where do you see the challenge for, for leadership as we sort of come out of, of this? I mean, it was one thing to have it landed on us. I personally think it's going to be far more difficult coming out of lockdown than it ever was going in. I'd be interested in your view on that. Yeah, so, so beyond um, the economics of bringing teams out of furlough and getting your businesses up and going. I think it comes down to people. And um, the, way that, the way that I've looked at this, and it's not dissimilar to the submarine coming back to, um, to a, to a harbour, for example, or returning from a 276 or 86 day deployment coming back to the UK, reintegration and readjustment days. So it's, it's, it comes down to people, the next challenge leaders, and it comes down to three things. And the first one is, it's about getting people back into the working environment. And there's three different groups of people, in my view. There'll be those that think the virus is not an issue and therefore they'll just go back to normality. There'll be a group that will be reluctant um, to come back to normality because they won't understand, they don't understand the virus. I mean, who does, to be quite frank? Um, but they won't, um, they don't understand the risk and they will worry about how they, uh, whether they get COVID-19 or they give it to somebody else. And then there's a third group, which is all those that have been furloughed. And, and you can almost split those into three as well. So the ones that get unfurloughed, um, they, they need to reintegrate into a team. The ones that don't get unfurloughed will wonder about their value to the company um, yeah. and their self-worth. And then the third group are those that don't want to be unfurloughed because it's been a great holiday being paid yeah. and doing nothing. And so leaders have got to manage all of those different groups um, and achieve the achieve whatever the company objective is. And that for me is the biggest challenge that the leaders are going to have going forward. Yeah, it's, it's going to be complex, isn't it? And, and also I think attitudes of employees and team members, like you say, those have really thrived in it will be, yeah, the challenge is, well, why do I have to come back into work? Why can't I continue to work like this? And that may be at odds with what the company wants and everything else like this. I, I guess, though, it, that there's still the opportunity in there. I think things, people talk about the new normal, and, and, and I often think that's not necessarily a helpful phase because it almost feels like, well, it will go back to how it was. I mean, how much different do you think life will be beyond this? Do, do you think it's, there's any going back, do you think? So, so I, I'd ask the question: Why would we want to go back to how it was? And and um, th this this is the ideal opportunity to to do something different. My my fear actually is that it does go back to how it was, and, um, and you're seeing some of that now. I mean, I I think during this period of time, people had uh, grown to 
like the environment they lived in, appreciate the smaller things in life and um, and what, what you see with the beaches and how people have left rubbish and that, that, that appalls me and it appalls me because it means that people are slipping back into the way that they used to be um, and I'd sort of hoped that we would come out um, in a slightly different way but maybe maybe that's just a, a blip and then people adjust you know it's a release and then people adjust back into back into a new normality which is a good normality yeah yeah I mean to, e even at a local level you know those of us that sort of keep ourselves physically fit and go off running have had to share our kind of you know our lonely pathways with with so many other people because they're all everyone's got the same idea of getting out and about and connecting with nature and, and I think that's a great thing even though sometimes it's frustrating it's like oh this is my route but but actually I think you're, you're right I don't suppose it's too dissimilar to to when a sailor comes back you know um, onto dry land and, and has a bit of a blowout but then gets back into their routine I think we have to allow for that but let's just hope it is just sort of blowouts or just sort of exercising their freedom and then perhaps contemplating a little bit more about where the opportunity lies here. Um, yes. I think there's, there's so much that we've gained through this that to lose that opportunity. And I think that's where leaders really need to grasp the, the nettle really and, 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 and drive it home. But um, let's, um, let's, let's talk about some of the, 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 the submarine service and then perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll also sort of segue on to your experience in, in corporate life. Um, you, you had the very sort of privileged position of, of preparing those people that have been selected for captaincy of, of a boat to prepare for their command. And my understanding is not many people have really had that opportunity, but um, what, what was that like, actually? How do you prepare a leader for the pressures and, uh, you know, the sort of nuances of submarine command, which I'm guessing is different to somebody, I mean, I was a land-based commander, Really, I mean, there's similarities there, of course, but what would you say are the sort of the essential leadership different differences of leading a submarine and, and a crew? Yeah, so, so um, when, you, when you're in command of a submarine and you, you're leading that team, you're leading autonomously. You're given maybe one or two pages of direction and guidance and tasking, and then it's up to you and your team as to how you execute that. And people aren't checking in to find out how you're doing it. So you'll disappear off for a 60, 90 day patrol Nobody's checking in to see, see how you're doing it, but you've got to come back with the goods. And, um, and so the, the whole piece for submarine command is there's a piece about leading people, there's a piece about making decisions, um, and there's a piece about justifying how you've made those decisions. Because inevitably, when you get back, uh, the whole process will be rightly scrutinized. And so you need to be able to justify that. So in the submarine command course, uh, parachute as it's called, um, people get selected for that course and then they go on that course and I will train for a period of time and then I will test and during the testing phase uh, it's, it's, it's at sea um, it's hard work uh, the amount of forces that are provided to uh, the perisher teacher in order to test you know whether it's land whether it's air force uh, whether it's um, ships uh, and other submarines in order to put those uh, potential submarine captains under pressure is, is, is immense yeah. Um, so as long as they get those three balanced and they get it right, um, then then they're good to go at that point. So um, what we try and do on that course is is show them many or get them to experience many different situations so that they tame those problems really early on and they've seen them. Yeah. So that when they see those in command, they already know how they're going to uh, what they're going to do or how they're going to do it, and that allows them the intellectual space. Uh, to be able to deal with whatever the wicked problem is that comes along. 
So that that's interesting. So, I mean, the people that have been selected for command, and, and as you were as well, and, you know, please don't sort of have any sort of modesty about it, but what do you think sets a good submarine commander apart from from other leaders? Because the, the, it just strikes me that some of the nuances and that isolation and the confidence, but also to take that sort of condor moment and be able to think when under pressure, what, what do you think, or what are you looking for, I guess, uh, for, for a potential submarine commander? So, so um, and I've reflected a lot, of, I'm, I'm a very reflective person about leadership, and I've thought a lot about that as I've, I've, I've progressed within the, um, within the business environment. And I think for me, it comes down to three things. And I probably didn't think this at the time, but instinctively, I looked for these three things in leaders. The first one was about uh, leading by example. So it's whether they were calm, whether they were consistent, in, and consistency is probably the most important part of it, whether they were consistent in the way that they uh, dealt with their team, whether they showed compassion. The second part was about team first and never about the individual, those with egos. Um, and there are always leaders with egos, um, but... It was those that uh, concentrated on their team first, um, allowed, em empowered them, enabled them, allowed them to fail um, such that they could learn from that failure. Um, and then the, the, the third part was about direction and guidance. So it's whether they could turn around and come up with the, the what and the why and then allow their teams to, uh, to do the how. Um, but jump in at the right times in order to make sure the submarine is safe, um, achieving the aim as well. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 interesting. I think that 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 egoless position. I mean, we all have an ego, don't we? But it's how much of it of that gets in the way, and and I and I guess the the consequences for poor leadership, you know, submerged are on where they can be catastrophic, can't they? So therefore, you have to have removed that. But the trusting the team and and that sort of direction and guidance to let them work out how to affect, you know, because they understand the what and why becomes even more. Of sort of contrasting, I, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. I'll be very surprised if you haven't read David Marquet's book, "We Turn the Ship Around," and everything like that. But yes. um, I, I, I've, I've often used David Marquet's work around that that leader leader model. I mean, how much of of his writing and teaching sort of echoed in in, in what you experienced? Yeah, so, so I, well, I did two years with the United States Navy on exchange with them. So I got to see um, uh, U.S. submarines operating first firsthand. And, and I, 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 his book is um, is, a, is a very good book and a very good example of, of how to recover and how to establish that stuff in place. Um, for, for me, uh, I, I think that submarine echoes the personality of the leader um, because it's, it's a steel tube. If you ever wanted a clinical area to study leadership, that is it, because the external forces that influence the ability for that leader to reach back and reach out for support doesn't exist. And therefore, it all comes down to how the leader acts, how the leader responds to stuff. It's, it's just an amazingly unique place to see it all play out. Um, and, and, and that sounds, um, well, in fact, I was just really lucky when I was, when I was teaching submarine captains to observe all of that, and um, as well as teaching them, obviously. And, and so the, the leader sets everything up going forward um, and, and it, it, they really do, but you need the followers too, yeah. um, otherwise there's no team. Yeah. So, so actually there's this piece where, and, and the military are not good at this because they tell everybody to become a leader, 
And actually, you don't want everybody to be a leader. <laughs> what you actually want is some followers as well. And we should respect the fact that these, these guys and girls don't want to be leaders, but they do want to be good followers. Mm. So for me, I think it was about concentrating on those two groups and having different strategies for each one, how you concentrate on your leaders, how you concentrate on your followers and how you blend it all together. But, but I do think, Ryan, that yes, you want followers and you want courageous followers, followers who are able to challenge and, and engage in healthy intellectual conflict for the greater good of the team. But you want them to, and, and I guess that's the, the leader element of the leader-leader model is that you want um, thinking followers rather yeah. than just, well, I'll execute when I'm told to execute. Because actually, like you say, that, that really sort of... Um, everyone's in that in that metal tube and everything is just highlighted any fracture points are highlighted so you, you kind of want 100 plus people all thinking but you're absolutely right uh, the, the military does focus on everyone just trying to be that leader and I think we forget the 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 role of a follower and and actually we have to train people how to follow well as well um which yeah. is which I'm not sure the the military gets as right as perhaps it should uh, be interesting the um You've you've also um, highlighted there, and you didn't use the words, but I guess the, how do you deal with that sort of loneliness of command? Because I guess if you're on a surface vessel, you can at least get up on board, get some fresh air, and sort of you know take your moment and then come back down. But there's where do you go for those moments where you really have to collect your thoughts and and think of some of the stressful situations that you would have found yourself in? How how did you manage that? And I guess that's the that's sort of the give yourself the chat piece, but how did you make sure that you are mentally able to, to lead for extended periods of time? Yeah, so, so um, it's very transparent in a submarine because obviously it's a very confined environment and everything, you know, you are visible to your team all the time. And so I think there's some of the stressful, and there have been many stressful, uh, events that I was involved in during my command um, and I, I always thought that it was completely visible that I was I might have been struggling but apparently not apparently I was completely calm and collected and everything else whereas inside I was spinning you know loads of plates trying to work out what the solution is um, I, I'm, on a personal level my team were doing exactly the same thing but what I was trying to do was think my team are going to think in one particular direction or two or three different things and I need to think of some other alternatives as well so you've got different things mm. so so I think that um the training definitely allowed me to manage the emotional piece that goes with that without a doubt the training did that so um so that's great but how did I manage it intellectually so so I used to read a lot um I, I would read leadership books and and, and generally uh, military ones to be frank and, and it wasn't and I, I didn't think this at the time I was an avid reader all the time always had a book out when, when I had some spare time and I was reading and somebody somebody told me a long time after said that's where I was trying to validate my decision making ah. so I was looking at historical leaders yes. to see what they did in crisis to validate the decision that I'd made at, it, at that time so um so yes, yeah, so I think, I think um, when I look back, uh, I, I would talk openly with my second in command, not, not about my own personal feelings or anything else, but I'd chew the out with him and discuss mm. stuff. I would discuss everything prior to an event with my team because it was a democracy right up until the decision was made and then, then we'd off we'd go and do it. And we'd always, um, we would always do a lessons learned after an event so that we made sure that we, and, and as openly as, as, as we could, 
but he was never worried about um, how my decision making was perceived by my team. I was completely open with them. I, I, would, I wouldn't hide stuff with them, but I would hide the emotional, uh, the emotional feelings that I was feeling at that time. Yeah, yeah, and and I guess you have to have an environment where, you know, especially with your second in command, there is 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 that balance that foil to your decisions and 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 actually knowing that you can talk to, to, to someone it's I can only imagine what it can be like but so when you when you look back on your time in command um no doubt you know you said you're a very reflective person anything that you you took away from that you think well actually that you know what what I guess the question is what what was your greatest learning from time in command that you've carried forward into into your latter positions and we'll get onto your corporate experience in a moment so, so I think there's two two things here. The first one is, um, what did I take forward? Which is, um, it's all about the people, and you invest time with your people, and they will they will pay you back, um, and they'll do it brilliantly. Um, but I also learned loads in the last five years being in the business world, and do you know if I if I'd had some of the learnings now, I'd have probably done some things differently whilst I was in command. Um, and in particular, dealing with other organisations, um, headquarters, I'd, I'd have dealt with them differently. Now, that, that is interesting. So why, why is that specifically? Because I, I agree with you. So, I mean, since I left the military, I've probably studied more about leadership than I ever did at the time. Um, and I don't know if that's to my shame or not, but I, I guess the period of reflection helps us. So specifically about dealing with different organisations, what, what was it that you can tell us about that that brought you to that conclusion? So, so I think um, you, you're probably a little, a little naive when you're in the military uh, that there is uh, fewer genders. And I think when you're when you're in command, you think everybody is concentrating on that. And of course, that's not always the case. People will be thinking about budgetary constraints. People will be thinking about their own personal agenda as to whether they're you know whether they're going to go for promotion or. Uh, the, it's, it's understanding all that, and I really didn't understand all that in command. I, I think I blindly thought uh, that everybody was doing the same thing and that wasn't the case and it wasn't until I got into into the business world when I um, learned the hard way to be to be uh, frank about um, uh, how different organizations and how different companies interact yeah and yeah. so, so that, that's a good segue actually into your your corporate experience so 26 years in the Royal Navy uh, you decide to leave and um, we, we have oil rigs, national grid and consultancy work all thrown in there. It's quite an eclectic mix. So what did you move on to first? Was it the, the, the work with the oil rigs? Yes, it was. So, so um, I, I, I went to Shell and I was um, an offshore installation manager, so in charge of a platform in the North Sea. Um, and that was, a, that was a good transition into the business world. So there's some operational stuff that I could understand. Um, I didn't understand... Uh, everything to do with oil and gas, of course, I had to learn again, which is fantastic learning something new. Um, and then I got into the world of um, trying to understand contracts, uh, all, all that stuff that I would never ever um, have had in, in, in the military. Um, so it was a real upward learning curve for me. And I led during when the oil price was uh, $117 a barrel and I also led at $27 a barrel. Wow. So once again, it all came down to people. And how do you get your people to deliver with, with huge amounts of uncertainty um, and deliver results? And, and, and we, were, we were successful as a team. We, we stayed profitable all the way through the, um, through the drop in the oil price. So. 
and, and that's Absolutely. amazing. And so what, I mean, there's, there's new things to learn clearly about processes and, uh, and everything else like that. But previously you talked about when we talked about selecting leaders for command of, of, of a boat, you talk about, you know, consistency of approach, eagerness and direction and guidance. I mean, how much of that plays out in civilian world as being valid? You know, how, how close, how closely are is leadership in in military context to to commercial context? Would you say? Well, so 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 I think those those translate across uh, brilliantly. Uh, and actually, when I talk to companies now, um, that, that that's what I teach them. I said leadership's simple. I know that I know you're operating in a complex environment, and you'll have your own model. And there will be loads of people that teach leadership, but it's as simple as this. This is what you have to concentrate on. And but you need to have right training in order to do it. Um, and if you make it as simple as you can, um, you can achieve it. There's also the argument that, or Tim and I say, well, leading at scale in disparate organisations that doesn't work, but but it does work. And and I proved that in the next role that I went to um, with uh, with National Grid, because all my teams were around the country, you know, 250 people scattered around the country, running 140 odd uh, construction projects, uh, and we we achieved success not because of um of me but because we're always focused as a team on team success yeah so it's so, so somebody listening to this this episode that is perhaps at the earlier part of their leadership career because you know there's 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 one thing to have done x amount of years in the navy then carrying that through so you've got many decades of leadership experience but somebody that's on the, the sort of start of their career what, what advice would you give them in order to you know, to either think about their leadership or, or start to develop in certain areas, what would you say you, you would send them forward with? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because um, you're right. But, you know, I've, I've had a career of leadership. Gradually, uh, over time, uh, my leadership developed. So, so I think for, for anybody starting that leadership journey, um, when you ask what do you want to achieve, it's all right not to give an answer to that. Um, you know, if you get, I, I used to run a graduate program in in, um, in National Grid, and it always used to amaze me that when you'd ask them what they wanted to do, the majority would say, I want to be the CEO. And you go, mm. well, how, how do you, you don't know that yet. Yeah. I, said, uh, I said, I can tell you now, I don't want to be the CEO of National Grid because it's a tough, tough job. And I'm enjoying being a, 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 a supporting leader to, to him. Um, but, you know, you can have aspiration, that's important. But at the beginning of your journey, you have to concentrate on the role that you've got at that time and learn from the leaders that are around you, good and bad. And, and that's really, really important is to find the, the good leader uh, that sets the benchmark for you going forward. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And as I reflect on, on my own career, or particularly back to our military career, though it was always focused on getting to the next step. And I think, you know, there's a lot of truth in in be present and and take the opportunity now. And, and what opportunities do you have? So yes, you want to be CEO of National Grid, or you want to be the team leader. But if you're a section leader, that's where the greatest learning and leadership is. So don't worry so much about the next level. Worry about being the best leader you can with the team or the environment you're in right now. And I think a lot of leaders, because the corporate setup and career setups are always about attaining the next level. I think we sometimes miss the point that the greatest learning is, is in our current situation. And 
And, and I think if you do a good job in that environment, you'll get recognized for the next level without having that front of mind. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that totally. When, when, when I reflect back and, and the first thing somebody asked me when I was, when, when I went on to be second in command was what job I wanted to do next. And I hadn't even started that job. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, so I think like I say, being in the present is, is, and, and enjoy it, just enjoy and learn and, um, capture the lessons so that when the next opportunity comes up, um, you go and enjoy that too. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan, yeah, you've had a stellar uh, naval career. Um, you published your own, um, sort of book around, I think it was SSN 14 submarine leadership. And, and I guess that was just, you know, part of that reflective process and then the work you've done. What, what's next for you, Ryan? What, what, you know, what, what's going to, kind of light your fire and uh, and and an ambition for for the next chapter yeah so it's it's that's a, it's a good question so so I, I realized when i left the navy i had to learn very quickly and i needed a breadth of experience so um shell gave me a great introduction into it and it's a fantastic company to work for national grid gave me a portfolio uh, knowledge at a high level which i'm very grateful for um, and then I, I didn't understand entrepreneurial leadership. So I went to go and work for an entrepreneur to understand that and to operate in the SME world for a bit, small, medium enterprise world for a bit to, um, to learn from there. And what, where, I'm, where I'm content with is what I do now. So I quite like going into uh, different companies with Project 7 and, um, and going and helping leaders in those companies achieve success. So, so that's quite good. And what's next uh, for me is, is it's about um, just enjoying the leadership journey. This gives me the variety, which is fantastic, but it also allows me to do all the other stuff I like to do. Um, so whether it's helping charities, whether it's um, helping SMEs, uh, uh, startup, all that stuff really excites me. Um, and I think, do you know what? It's that bit about finding happiness, isn't it? And, mm. um, and at the moment I'm happy in what I'm doing. Well, that, that's wonderful to hear. And I, I, I guess to, to leave some of our listeners with some, some parting thoughts, um, and there's so many nuggets within this conversation, um, being the sort of give yourself the, the, the chat podcast, I mean, what is it that, how, do, how when, when you're going to be faced with future stress and, and sort of leveraging that experience from the past, what actually gets you back and connected either to be happy or to, to, to live in the moment? How, how do you go about doing that? Because, you know, it's too easy to, to look at your, your kind of your career and think, well, you've, you've got it sorted, but you know, each of us struggle each, each day. What, what's kind of give yourself the chat mean to you that perhaps you can leave our listeners with some, some things that to, to reflect upon. So, so I think the, the um, first one is you can spend a lot of time looking back and going, that was brilliant. And, know this might not be um but that doesn't help because that was the past and this is the present i think there's a piece that says how am i going to be better than i was yesterday and that for me is really really important so trying to find something that i can do better um trying to find somebody i can help um and that gives me a real gives me energy and that energy is really important because you need it so all the way through this crisis I've really enjoyed the fact that I've been able to help companies and help leaders um, and, and do that because it was the right thing to do as opposed to anything else. That's been fantastic. But I couldn't do that if I didn't work for a company that let me do it. Yeah. And so so um, I, I think all I do on a daily basis is think about how it went at the end of the day and then turn around and go, is there anything I can do better tomorrow and what am I going to learn? 
And yeah, and I guess that's, that's really, you know, your reflective practice, no doubt throughout your entire life is, is what's gone is gone, but it, there's an opportunity to learn from that. And we start again tomorrow kind of thing. And, 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 and again, I guess for that, back to those young leaders that may be listening as well, is that, you know, it is part of a learning process. And, and throughout this conversation, your love of learning really has sort of come through. And I think really leadership is always about learning. It's not necessarily about you know, having everything right and, and, and knowing all the answers, because how could we? But I think if you approach leadership and if you approach um, you know, the opportunities you have as an opportunity to learn, then, then that's some way to, to feeling content and fulfilled and, and actually being of service. Um, it, it really is that simple. Yes, absolutely. I think if, um, you know, may, maybe all of us uh, would like to be remembered uh, for, for the right thing. And for me, if I've helped one person, one person remembers me for having done that, then, um, then that for me is success. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure we've, we've certainly helped more than one person um, on, on this episode, Ryan. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Um, I know we could have another episode just talking about some of the, the dits you can spin, no doubt, 26 years in the Navy. But we'll leave that for another time and we'll catch up with you when you've written that second book, perhaps. But for the time being, Ryan, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Another great guest on the Give Yourself a Chat podcast. Uh, Ryan there is, is clearly a very reflective man, takes learning very seriously as he does the profession of, of leadership and, and his mission really to pay it forward and develop future leaders. Uh, and the wealth of leadership experience he has on board a submarine, uh, fascinating. And, and I think perhaps we'll have him back um, on a future podcast just to talk about life on board because it's such an environment that most of us, including myself, never really have the opportunity to witness firsthand. But for the time being, the conversation is going on over at LinkedIn. Please connect with me, suggest guests that you might like to hear on the show and indeed subjects you'd like me to explore. But in the meantime, great to have you with me. I'll see you on the next one.